Today on Breaking Bullying, it's Pride Month, and in recognition, we are having our first two-part episode where we are talking to the mother of a non-binary child who is currently being tortured and abused at grade school, a school that is practically negligent in their response. We've got a lot to cover, so let's hit that music and let's get started. Joining us now in our Fly By Your Pants Technical Issues Up The Wazoo episode is our pinch hitter. Gratefully, with much humble gratitude, do we welcome Bridget Martinez, mother of a bullied student who has a couple stories to tell. And thankfully, thank you so much for being willing to tell them on such short notice. Yeah, no problem. Anything for a great guy like Tim. So uh, thank you so much, Bridget. Well, Tim, you're going to be driving this little showboat since I don't have many of the questions or know the stories. <laughs> so take it away. No problem. I don't have any questions either. But luckily, I know Bridget's daughter, Alex, very well. What was your main reason for enrolling Alex at Kato Karate? I did a lot of research on different programs, even in our local community, that would help with her confidence and give her a little bit more knowledge about herself. And um, going through different chat boards and everything, your, your program, Tim, really stood out to us as a family while we were trying to figure out something for her to do and to help her deal with her her issues that she was having with that we decided to you know get a hold of you and we had an excellent conversation over the phone i remember our first conversation tim and you just like such a genuine person and like you actually cared about each individual student so that's why um i informed my husband and then we together actually told alex her name is Ava Alex, that, you know, we had this great program and she was going to be so excited to go and meet this this wonderful man by the name of Tim and start karate. And uh, to say that they were less than enthusiastic would be an understatement. Um, but now uh, they actually even show up to a half an hour early just to hang out with their friends and to see like the the whole group of parents, which are amazing also, that all have these amazing little humans in these programs that Tim offers. So Bridget, how could you tell that Alex was struggling with her confidence? Well, we were dealing with um, body image issues and um, being non-binary and coming out in general, which are all things that they are labeled. Um, and have chosen those labels for themselves. We've had some major issues with getting um, acceptance from other students in the classroom studying, even teachers, which is kind of sad, and even parents, which is the most heartbreaking thing. And just like the, the proper terms and the acceptance of all of these things that these little humans have going on in their heads and then you deal with just like normal bullying but then you have parents that won't even acknowledge that these are real issues that their children are perpetuating through them because they won't discuss them with their children. 
at what age did this all start for your daughter? Um, nine, nine years of age. Um, it, we started noticing small little changes in attitude. And then, you know, bullying started sadly as young as kindergarten with her first incident, but it started being more of a targeted thing for them when they started dealing with coming out and their sexuality and their gender identity. That's when things started getting very um, targeted on those key factors. Hi, it's Bruce from The Editing Future. It's around this point that Bridget's microphone cut off and she disappeared for about five minutes. She came back and sounded very different because it was a different microphone. Anyway, if things sound a little bit different, that's the reason I return you to the program in progress. At what age did Alex become aware that their identity wasn't binary? I think, like I said, it started off at a very young age with us just kind of labeling tomboy. And that's why we chose karate over like dance, which would be more like of a, a feminine, um, you know, a feminine view on an activity. Um, but most definitely not overly athletic. So just those little key things were kind of like, okay, I, I'm starting to see this. But when I think she or they really came to an understanding about it was more when we hit like the age of 10. So in the last year, we've had a lot of developments in self-awareness and we've been doing a lot of research and we've um, seeked help from counseling, which I think is something that more people need to be willing to do, um, especially as a parent and not a medical specialist at any, you know, key. Um, and with the development of brains and physical, you know, attributes, I think people need to seek medical and, you know, that psychological step. So I would say that they really decided at about 10 that they just weren't really wanting to be overly masculine or overly feminine. They kind of just fell in the middle. And luckily, we don't mind it one way or another. We're not going to try to force, you know, one way or another or none of that. We're just being super supportive and allowing growth and development at their pace instead of what, you know, other people would expect. Out of curiosity, and I'm sorry for taking this over, Tim, when they came out to you, what was that process like? And did you have any? I don't want to say resistance because clearly you're a very loving, supportive family. And it's a damn shame that for all of the people who are in this identity, that is not the case. But did you have a moment of pause? Did it surprise you or your husband? Or was it just something you were able to accept? You know, I, I say they walk in with a little pink blanket and tell you you had this little baby girl and you're so excited for everything feminine from that point in time. So, yes, I think as a human and like having this established relationship and I still do it to this day and I feel horrible for not using proper pronouns and I still trip up on it and I, I, I try to tell them 
for the first 10 years of your life, you were my my baby girl. And now you're my baby bug is what I tell them because it's it's a filler word that I use with with uh, with Alex, you know, and it's just it's very difficult. But I don't ever want them to think that they're not accepted at home. I think it was more of a shock to my husband which comes from more of a traditional background. So I think it was a little bit more of a shock to him. And he had a little bit tougher of a time um, with the acceptance, you know, and trying to like force, um, I would say, kind of more feminine attributes or feminine characteristics on, on Alex, where I'm just like, wear what you want, do what you want with your hair you know, be who you want to be. And as long as you're healthy and attempt to be happy, I don't really care what anyone else says. And then when it comes to the sexuality aspect of it, I'm openly on a different level that way too. I classify myself as bisexual. So I think people are beautiful in general and that you can be attracted to a male or a female. And it's human biology, these things, you know? So I, I've never had an issue with her, you know, with her sexuality or her being non-binary. And then she classifies herself as pansexual because of the non-binary status. She doesn't, or they don't really see the difference in male and female. So, which is kind of that chemical makeup in their brain that has made these decisions um, you know, what what they want to do to live their life and be happy. So I don't care who she loves or how she loves as long as she's loved. So when Alex started kindergarten, what type of bullying did she start to experience at that young age? Um, with that, it was more of her speech. I joke with with even you, Tim. Alex was nonverbal until she was about three or four years of age. So speech was something that was a big struggle. So where normal people start, there's, you know, speech at two, three, completely nonverbal was actually learning sign language, not autistic, um, not that level of a learning disability, but these small little things that, you know, our milestones didn't come when they were supposed to. And so in school, the bullying started because other kids in her class had a real difficult time understanding her. And then the frustration would kick in and, you know, they're, they're, they're learning so much and their brains are these little sponges. And then when we got placed on IEPs and, you know, special education, well, then there's that stigma that goes around all that too. So that was another big issue when it came to the bullying when they were younger, you know, when when they're supposed to be establishing these relationships with their classmates and none of her classmates can understand her because she kind of made up her own little language, especially back then. So it was a very unique experience for us because we were just so excited that it finally clicked in her brain and that speech was finally happened for us. So when other students would get so frustrated because they, they didn't understand what she was saying, that's when 
they started like making little side comments about like, you know, is she stupid? And I'm like, no, it's just her brain works differently. So instead of saying penguin, it was a cold waddler. Instead of seeing a cat, she go mew, mew, mew. And she associated actions, things that were more audio than the actual word. So that's what I mean when she like established her own little language. But other students didn't understand that, especially in like kindergarten, first grade. They just did not get it. So, of course, they started making fun of, of her. Then when we get older... It starts in on, you know, physical attributes. Their hair is super curly and was super long. So it was, you know, very, very, yes, wonder curls. Tim can attest for this for Alex. Wonder curls is, oh, yeah. yeah. She's got a lot of curls. Yes, yes. There are so many people that spend so much money to get hair like that. <laughs> And that's what I always want to say, especially now that we cut it so incredibly short, but um, it's the style that they want. But then as we got older, our teeth are not perfect. We have a beautiful smile that can light up an entire room and a half and a laugh that's incredibly infectious. Tim can also attest to that. But our teeth aren't exactly supermodel straight right now but we can fix that you know braces <laughs> are very much so a normal thing now and that's what I tell her I'm like hey you tell them your teeth can be fixed their personalities can't so that's my favorite comeback when we we hit that little issue when it comes to people picking on that physical attribute and that was another thing that we dealt with when we were a little bit on the younger side. But the most prominent and newest thing that we love to get on her about is sexuality and gender identity. So with that, we have dealt with note passing, outing her. Um, so that was the first big issue that we had was a student that knew that she was affectionate towards another female student decided to start a note and pass it around. A couple students didn't understand like what it meant that she liked another female student and they're like well does that mean she's gay? And that was the first time that her sexuality was brought out at school. And it was because um, she had confided in a friend that she thought someone was, you know, cute. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell your friends about your crushes and you're supposed to be able to trust them. And they took that trust and decided to tell another student and that student decided to out her situation or their situation. And nothing was done. At the school about it, the young man claimed that he didn't understand what it meant, even because this happened in third grade. So he completely denied it, even though he had made several of the notes and handed them out to several students amongst the class. And I actually got um, the opportunity to confront the young man about it. And he goes, oh, it's not like I outed her to the entire school. And I go, but you did. And he goes, no, only to the third grade. 
I found that very, very immature for him to say that. So I told him that I didn't appreciate it, that it wasn't his place to say anything like that. And I kind of left it at that. Was that a teacher or that was a student? That was a student. That was a student. Mm -hmm. Okay. That said that he didn't outer to the entire school, just the third grade. Only 60 people. Yeah. So that's when she technically was forced out of the closet. I heard a wonderful quote from a friend of mine because I was very upset. And she's um, she's open and obviously very eventual, a lesbian. And I asked her, I go, how did you come out in school? Because I was dealing with this and coming out in high school is hard enough, let alone in third grade. And she goes, you know, you come out to your friends, you come out to your family in society, you're forced out of the closet. And I thought that was such a moving opinion or a moving, you know, view on that topic to be like, you know, society has these little cut cubes for you. And if you don't fit it, you're forced, you know, and that's how she described it to me. And I thought that was just a beautifully poetic way to, you know, say that. And then as we've been dealing with fourth grade um, has come to as, you know, easy as calling her fag, queer, you know, we've gone as far as to pinch her and then tell her to cry like a girl because that's what she is. You said the teachers knew about this too back in third grade. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. Have you talked to the teachers about it? Yes. The hundreds of conversations, meetings with the principal. The principal officially calls me herself when there's incidences with Alex at school. I no longer even deal with the counselor or her teacher for the most part because I have a rapport with the principal because they they don't do anything for me. Tell us more about that, please. Yeah. How the teacher and the counselor behaved and why you now don't deal with them. Well, my issue with the counselor is there was just like a disconnect with communication. I would call. It would take couple days for them to get back to me, which was very, very frustrating when you're dealing with the situations of a child that's being attacked on a daily or weekly basis. Like, and that was very frustrating to me. And then when it came to like the teacher, the teacher is always like, well, I didn't see the whole incident. You'll have to get that information from, you know, the teacher that saw it or the, you know, and I don't know that teacher because they were the lunch aide and it's all of this runaround conversation. So I got together now this past year with the principal of of the elementary school, uh, she's actually gotten to the point where she'll call me on her cell phone because she knows that if she doesn't make contact with me, I'll be sure to make contact with her. So I've officially become that mom, but I am so okay with it. When it comes to my child's mental stability, physical safety, I'm not one to play with. So to say that I'm a little overprotective would be a slight understatement, I feel. But it's my child. And I always say that if there's no issues with acceptance in our household, the last place where she should have 
issues of acceptance or safety is at school, where they tell them that they have to go on a daily basis and you're supposed to feel safe here. You're supposed to trust these adults. These adults are put in such a beautiful power position where you're supposed to trust them to tell them your deepest, darkest secrets because they're mandated reporters. But then they tell you, okay, we're going to do an investigation and we'll get back to you. Do you know what that investigation is? It's usually conversations between the, each student individually, and then they pull them together and have another conversation. But we as parents are completely left out of these conversations, which I think is ridiculous and completely, uh, it, it, it's almost, it should be, on my views, illegal because they're talking to our children about these incidences and these these events. And our children are scared. Our children have been victimized. And they're doing these conversations with the attacker in the room. With each other. Yes. And, I, and it's no longer, you got into a fight, you got into a fight. We're calling your mom. We're calling your mom. Mom's going to the school. Kids going to the school. We're all going to have a conversation and hash this out. No, I have never even received these young um, women and men's parents' phone numbers, contact information, any of it. And my child has been made to apologize on several occasions to her perpetrators, to her attackers, because eventually they've had enough and they fight back and they say words back. And then it's an issue where my child is no longer just the victim. She is the attacker. And that's where it gets completely, I hate it. I hate it. Isn't it funny how it's always, for some reason, the majority of the time, it's the victim who's apologizing to their attacker, as you said. Mm -hmm. Yet very rarely is the attacker apologizing to the victim. Exactly. Yeah. And in those situations and in those circumstances, I wasn't there. I've never been a part of it. Did Alex receive some retaliation after those meetings? Nothing in the form of like suspension or any of that, like dialect. I'm talking about versus the other student, like the one when they had to go in the rooms together one-on-one -on -one with the teacher. They would back off on like the harassment for like a day or two and then it would start right back up. And it was usually a little bit more physically aggressive then because I remember when it was just verbal abuse and then they she reported it to me and I went into school and they had a little, you know, meeting and everything. And then it started turning physical with the level of violence and it turned into, you know, grabbing um, them by the hoodie and tossing them into the locker or tripping them when they're walking down the hallway or pushing their face into the back of the school bus seat or, you know, pushing them into a tree face first. These are just some of the physical things that my child has dealt with, with physical abuse in the school. Is this all done by the same person or is there multiple bullies? It's done by the same two for the most part. So it's the same two students over and over. Do the teachers not believe that it's happening? 
No, they've witnessed it. But they don't think it's a big deal? They've decided that my child should have to play in a special zone where they can keep an eye on them so that way they're not made to be a victim. What the hell does that mean? Um, my child is yeah. There's for, a victim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a victim free. So you gotta. So wait, Alex has to be in a victim free zone to play outside for recess. Yes. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to somebody who speaks normal human? What is a victim free zone? There's certain areas where there's for sure supervision, so that way they can make sure that my child doesn't get perpetually pinched and get told to cry like a girl because that's what you are and then walks away several times and then gets perpetually pinched again while they're searching for an adult to the point where then my child strikes back and then has to go tell the teacher oh yes I just kicked him but it was because of this and then showed her arm And then the teacher asked, you know, well, why did you kick him? And she goes, what? She's like, he literally has left a bruise on my arm from pinching me. And he's been calling me every queer name in the book. And she's like, and you're asking me why I kicked him. And the only reason she became physical was because it was the only way that he was going to stop. She had walked away. She had asked him not to call her the names. She, in, When he didn't get the reaction that he wanted that way, he went to actual physical violence, in my opinion, because a pinch is a pinch is assault in my eyes. And then she actually went and reported herself to the playground supervisor and was asked why he was crying, not why she was upset, because... They've officially learned that words can't hurt you. They can make you upset. They can make you feel bad. But at the end of the day, a word isn't what you are. And that's what I'm trying desperately to instill in this child. And that you can turn them around. But it's okay for you to have that view. I'm not sure that I feel it's okay for a school to be like, it's just words. Of course, it's the F word. But ultimately, does the F word really hurt somebody? Because that's psychological torture. Yes. Well, words don't hurt you, wouldn't hurt you physically at the moment, but they will destroy you mentally. And I'm surprised the school can't seem to you know, understand that. Yeah, I think a school saying words can't hurt you is code for we don't give a shit. So we're not going to do anything about that. That's the thing. I've offered to transfer. I've offered to have them switch classes and they just won't allow it. They say, I have friends there, mom. I have relationships with good people and I'm not running away from the situation. That's admirable. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I'm amazed by this little human that I've created every day. And there's just such an inspiration. And I love everything about that. But me as a mom, I just want to protect it. I just want to keep it safe. Here at Breaking Bullying, we do not endorse violence as a solution. Having said that, I firmly... And I believe I can speak for Tim in this, believe in Mm self-defense. So 
while they shouldn't have struck anyone because that's bad, did the little bastard get the point? He cried like a girl. That's exactly what she told him. (laughs) And we're so, so disappointed that he had to go through such a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. But did he learn to keep his hands to himself? Most definitely. But this was a little boy that actually in second, third grade, when COVID was very, very real, we had an issue with he put his hands on her before. But that was because Alex was faster than him. And he got very, very emotional about that and actually had already hit her in the stomach because Alex had tagged him on the playground while they were playing. So that's why, like, when he came up aggressively towards her, she immediately tried to leave the situation. And so when he didn't get the reaction that he wanted from the verbal assault, He went to the physical pinching, which I still consider assault. But then, like I said, he kept on telling her to cry like a girl, which is, in my opinion, very derogatory, especially if you know that someone is non-binary and doesn't technically classify themselves as one thing or another, which this young man knew. Yes, and after Alex did strike him, she did ask him if he was a girl because he was crying and yet not yet did she shed one tear over the whole situation. When he punched her before, did he get a talking to or is it just when Alex gets physical? No, no repercussion was done to him. Actually, he outed himself for that incident to the teacher because he asked the teacher if Alex had come to him and said anything. And the teacher said, no, Well, then when I got home from work, I took one look at my child and I said, what's the matter? Instantly cracked like a little egg and said that, you know, that this young man had become angry with them because they were out on the playground and they were playing tag and they tagged them. And he didn't want to admit that he had been tagged by uh, by a girl. And so then he became physically violent. So I, of course, hopped immediately on my phone. And at the time of COVID, luckily, we had all the teachers' home phone numbers. So I felt like this was a incident where I could call a teacher at home. So, of course, I did. And the teacher even said, she goes, oh, my God, that must have been what he was talking about. And I went, what? And she goes, he actually asked if... uh, if Ava, Alex, had um, come up to me and said anything because he said that he felt bad for what he had done. And I think that he knew that he had done something horribly wrong and was waiting for that repercussion, but it never came about. So then he was just a little confused in his own little mind that he didn't get tattled on immediately but like I said, my, my child and I have a very open dialect and where they know that they can report things at school and nothing gets done. So what's the point that we've gotten to that point where if we're going to get called names, if we're going to get physically harmed, what's the point in us telling a teacher when we get no satisfaction from that? So now we've learned that we tell mom and mom will try at her best to get some level of revolution 
or um, execution from anything. But like I said, it's it's not a parent-based conversation anymore. And I think parents need to be involved with these issues so that way you can adjust your child's behavior at home and then it will carry on to school. Like if you tell your child you can't say the F word, the four letter F word at school, then they don't say it, correct? Because it's a swear word, because it's a bad word. So why are you so comfortable saying the three letter F word in public? You know, they say the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I think uh, another one of Tim's parents might have dropped that little nugget on the show. That was, that was Samantha last week. Does the school call it the victim-free zone, or is that what you call it? That's what I've deemed it. Because <laughs> okay. I, I joke that she's, in, like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, my child is the victim in these assaults, in these verbal assaults, in these physical assaults, in these issues. But yet she gets told that she has to play in a zone and to not leave the zone. So I'm like, so what you're telling my child is you're a victim. So we're going to punish you. We're not going to make so-and-so stay in a zone because they can't keep their hands to themselves. Have you asked the school about that? Why does Alex have to stay in a special zone where these kids can go wherever they want? I have. The explanation that I received was because there's usually some kind of adult in that eyesight area. Well, great. Make those two kids stay in that area. They're the ones causing trouble. Yes. And that's where I wish that the school would be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to that. But their whole thing is, well, that's the way that we're going to protect them while they're at school. And this is how we can make them feel safe. But I'm like, this is how we can ostracize them. Yeah, by segregating my child and by, you know, by putting them in their own little bubble. That's how you're going to keep them safe. But it doesn't work because as soon as they start walking down the hallway, they're tossed into a locker by their hoodie. I understand the school's point a little bit. Okay. But that's okay. Maybe for like a 18 year old, 17 year old high school student. This is a nine, 10 year old kid who doesn't understand that I'm limited to this space because I'm the victim. If I go out this space, it's going to be my fault if I get attacked. That's what's going to be in Alex's head. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what they're really starting to think. And those words have actually left their mouth. But it's a 10 year old kid who don't get that. Yeah, that's what. Alex has said to me, and they're like, well, maybe I deserve it. And I'm like, maybe you deserve what? And they're like, well, because I make it easy on them. And I'm like, honey, baby, never, no, don't ever make things easy on anyone. I'm like, you yell, you kick, you scream if you're being assaulted or attacked or whatever. Yep. And she's like, let's get into this point where, It's just, it's happened every school year where we've been either physically or verbally assaulted. And it's just getting to a point of ridiculous. Like I said, luckily we're in counseling. So we are, um, we are learning coping mechanisms to deal with all of this. Also, we see a psychologist and everything in between also. So I don't want anyone to think that you're not a, good parent if you seek 
help, especially with things that you don't understand. That took a lot for me to understand that in myself. I thought that I was failing. And I actually went into the school in tears and said that phrase to them. And they did nothing to be like, no, you're not failing. I said that phrase to my daughter's counselor and she goes, no. She's like, you are probably one of the most supportive mothers I've come across while dealing with these kinds of kids. What age did she start counseling? Two years ago, we started with pride counseling here in Mankato. Okay. Okay. So how has the bullying affected your child's mental health? It's affected it dramatically. We're scared to go to school. We are scared to go on field trips because we were assaulted on a field trip. That's when the head got shoved into the back of the bus uh, seat. We've had issues with our body image to begin with. So when you've got people nitpicking things about your physical features, you're going to have, you know, psychological damage. It's like you guys were like we were just talking about how words, they're just words, but they hurt. So you get told enough times that you're ugly, you're going to start believing it a little bit, or you get told so many times that you're, you know, there's something the matter with you because of the way that you want to live your life, either non-binary, transgendered, straight, all these different labels that we have now. I just feel like there's going to be that impact on everyone's mental status. And these poor kids went through this pandemic which it wasn't healthy for any of us to be stuck inside and to be isolated and to have our lives completely turned upside down. Don't get me wrong. It was very, very necessary. And I completely support what all the teachers did. But they missed that year of social development, of social interaction. And it goes back to that apple doesn't fall far from the tree comment where they lost a year of being with diversity, with being with different, where they weren't exposed for an entire year, school year, to everyone that's different in the world. And luckily, we have the opportunity to have all those different kinds of people here with us. But then to say comments as a school, which this is another thing that might trigger Bruce, And that's where we'll have to leave it for now. Next week, we continue the story of Alex and Bridget's efforts to fight for her child. Plus, we'll also see exactly how triggered Bruce does indeed get. If there's one thing we hope you might take away from this week's episode, it's that everyone deserves to live in respect and dignity, no matter what their race, their religion, or their sexual identity might be. No one should have to live in fear. If you have your own tale of being bullied that you would like to share with us at the show, email it to us at breakbullyinghere at gmail.com. Also, you can email us if you would like to be put in contact with Bridget. Remember, there is strength in numbers. If you or someone you know is the subject of bullying, there is help. There are some online resources we would like to point you in the direction of. The first is the government's own anti-bullying website, and the address for that 
is www.stopbullying.com. The other resource is www.pacer.org bullying. And if you're feeling hopeless and that there's nothing left to go on for, please first call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. I'm Tim Flynn for Bruce Knoxon. Thank you for listening, and we will continue this conversation next week.